from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Thursday. Cofield and Company, Silver 7's is the spot. Willie is the company. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Let's get right to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. What's up, Willie? What's happening? It's a, a big whole, week. A whole lot. Busy, big. busy Raiders day. Busy Raiders. Yeah, man. We got uh, IR news on both Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. So all of a sudden, this season has taken a turn for, or in an even stranger direction. And the, you know, the crazy thing is, as the Colts come to town, the Colts are kind of the more screwed up franchise. I didn't get your reaction on the Jeff Saturday thing, or much of it. On Jeff Saturday, what do you think? Uh, I I was stunned. I don't understand it. I agree. At, not that I thought of this, but I agree wholeheartedly with what Adam had to say in his take. Um, but you already know who I would have thought should have been the easy choice to step in and take over the team with immediacy. Because for two years now, I've been to well a year total, year and three months. I've been saying that's my guy, and it would have been Gus Bradley. Yep. But um, I I mean, Adam's take makes 100% sense that they're tanking. And, you know, as far as the spy thing is concerned, I mean. Yeah, Adam Hill went through a whole thing about yeah, the, the fact that Saturday's theory. in place because they're tanking. And Jim Irsay wants Saturday to basically be a spy and see who's worth keeping around and who's uh, who's deserving of the door. That Yeah, I mean, I mean he, he could figure that out, I think, it's by himself, but for the most part, I believe that it, it makes 100% sense. I mean, why else would you bring in a guy who has no more than high school coaching experience and you're going to throw an, an, an OC in there that's never called a play? Quarterback hasn't won an NFL game. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I mean, the th- here's the thing. This has got, I mean, can we just call this the dysfunction bowl? Because this has to be the wildest game between two franchises that have taken a turn for their own worst. I mean, it's 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 I, it it'll kind of be a pleasure to sit up there and just watch this right. unfold. What do you think would happen with Raider Nation if McDaniel's was blown out next week and they installed Rich Gannon as the head coach? Uh, honestly, I think they'd be happy just because McDaniel's would be gone based on all the comments that I'm seeing. I don't think that they necessarily care at this point. Like go, like I don't. I haven't seen anything okay. like, hey, replace him with this person. It's just been like, get him out. I hadn't even thought of that angle that. Sometimes teams or fans are so desperate, they're like, you know what, anyone but this guy. And that's, well, actually, that's, actually, that's actually what Rick Venturi, who's a color voice for the Colts, mm-hmm. talked with us about yesterday. I, I was blown away that most Colts fans are actually happy that Reich is gone, and they're like, yeah, Jeff Saturday, we're good. This was going to be very well received. People were really down on Frank. It's, it's amazing wow. the decline. Indianapolis lives in that great era of that 2000 to 2012, basically bringing a guy like Saturday who's very popular, you know, here initially is a big thing. It's, it's very, very well recepted. I, you know, I'm, here's bl- a, I'm blown away. I thought, I thought football fans are smarter than this. Let me ask you this. I mean, when, when the comparison about, like, Carr's the first quarterback, this, 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 isn't the, the common comparison since it's always – for the most part, it's usually Gannon as far as success is concerned and since they were happy. So if, if that was the if that's who they named, if that's Mark Davis, like if that were to happen, 
they would probably be happy. I don't know, man. If the uh, if the Jets were struggling and they named Mark Sanchez the head coach, okay, you're I, I, I'd be. Why? It's the same thing. It's a broadcaster, and he's from the last winning era. The Jets haven't had many winning eras. That was the last time they made a couple of AFC championships. Mark Sanchez, yep, make him the head coach. He's 36. He knows football. I just I, this whole thing is nuts. Kyle Brandt, NFL Network, went in on it. This is extremely sarcastic, but he makes the point here. I don't see the problem. Everyone's all up in arms. I think more teams should do it. I think if you look around some of the last place teams, if they have to make a replacement, I think the Lions should just hire Lomas Brown to be their head coach. The Cardinals should hire Dan Deerdorf. Mm -hmm. The Texans could hire Chester Pitts. And I don't know if you saw this. uh, Bill Belichick has finally named his successor to be the next head coach of the Patriots. Not Joe Judge. It's not Matt Patricia. It's uh, Devin McCourty. Devin McCourty. Does he have any coaching experience, Jay? He played there 13 years, Uh like Saturday. He coached flag football. He might be overqualified then. Uh, On a related note, um, I don't know if you saw this. Marvel has hired Vin Diesel to direct their next wave of movies because he was a talking tree in a few of them. I, I get the comical <laughs> thing. The, the funnier part with New England would have been it would have made sense and, and hit everybody struck a chord would have been Teddy Bruschi, right? Because he's so widely seen and yeah. uh, for Brian. That's exact. I mean, right when he said it, New England it named the successor, I, that's who I was thinking. Funny stuff? Makes sense? This story is embarrassing. I've gotten to meet Jeff Saturday a few times, and I, he was great, and I really respect him as a player and a media member. Isn't he embarrassed to take this job? At best, uncomfortable. For all the respect that he has for coaches and the coaches who have made him the player and the man that he is, isn't this awkward for him? Did he consider saying no just out of respect? I think it is a huge backhand to every man and woman in the world in any coaching profession, in any coaching position, in the college, in the pros, in high school. The, the coaching profession is something that drains you psychologically, and um, he got it because he's friends with the billionaire and was a good player on the team. Totally agree. This is absurd. Totally absurd. It's a bad look. Uh, Ursay is a whack job. He always has been. And if this is not a tank and he actually believes that this is going to turn the football team around, I think he's crazy. And here's the other one. Let's look at it from the player standpoint. Going back to Adam Hill's theory on uh, Monday that, hey, they're trying to tank, and now the owners now put a spy, his buddy, in place. Ryan Clark talked about this, and he's like, what are the players supposed to think on the Colts? And if I'm a player, I'm going to think about this. You're not with us. How are you with us? Were you here in the offseason? Were you here doing training camp? Have you been here for the first nine weeks of the season? And so if you're not with us, then you must be with him. How can I share with you what I'm going through? How can I tell you about the difficulties I'm facing as a player and not believe that you're going to sit on Jim Ursay's couch later on that night and pillow talk? I mean, Willie, you're very big into trust. You know, you're with me or you're with me or you're not with me. Yep. You're with me or you're against me. And let me put to, to Adam's point, let me just say this. One of the smartest journalists that you and I both know, okay, you don't think that those older established coordinators and coaches on the Colts staff think the same thing or at least some of them have come up with that thought process. Now, even if they are loyal to the team and do their job, and let's just say that uh, that um, Jeff Sarity says, hey, He's good, he's good, he's good, he's not, he's a, even the guys that he's pointed out, to have an owner that would have the audacity to do something like that, you think they want to stick around? I mean, that's a, it's just a complete buffoonery. Well, what this sets up is a Thursday and Friday where we're going to talk a lot about the Raiders and the Colts, and the Raiders better win this friggin' game. You, you can't have a more odd situation coming to town with a head coach who's got no experience, players who we don't know if they're going to back the guy or not, we don't know if the other assistant, you know, the assistant coaches are ready to get the hell out of there, Raiders have to, have to win this game. Before we get to all that, we're going to get to our college football expert, Michael Felder, 
is in to talk about the uh, college football playoff picture in just a few. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7s Hotel and Casino. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Back here on a Thursday, Silver 7s is the site. TNF coming up. Also, VGK puck drop at 4 o'clock. 77-cent beer starting at 4 o'clock at Silver 7s. Time to check in on the world of college football. Michael Felder is with us. He does the Field of 12 podcast. I heard you were getting a lot of guff over something you said last week on the Field of 12 podcast. I got some guff for saying that C.J. Stroud was bad a couple weeks ago. Um, For saying that he was bad in that football game specifically, I actually am – I love what he's done now because he he didn't take any sacks in the game against Northwestern. And they struggled against Northwestern. They struggled running the football. That's the thing they have to fix. But the reality for me is at least he didn't take sacks and give ground. What was the biggest topic on this week's Field of 12? Oh, man, this week. So last night I was with, with – or two nights ago, I was with Coach Sumlin and uh, Trevor Knight. And the biggest thing for us, we obviously we looked at the rankings. It's the day after the rankings come out. Listen, you know what, Cofield? I'm flipping it back on you. What do we think is going to happen? A two-loss LSU or a two-loss Alabama? They end up there or one of these one-loss Pac-12 teams if they can get the job done? I hate to say it, two-loss SEC team. Because that means that LSU or Alabama will have beaten Georgia in the SEC championship game. And that's the difference yep. maker there. Uh, what I've started to call it, um, probably from 15 up, I've started to call striking distance. And although I don't think that Utah or Penn State are within striking distance, because I don't think they're going to get over the hump, but I think UNC, UCLA, Ole Miss, Clemson, these are teams that are still within striking distance when it comes to those rankings. And they've all got big games where they control their own destiny so they can get in the mix or erase themselves from the mix. You know, I yep. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of national podcasts, but I and but I would love to see some people come out and say, you know what? I was wrong about Brian Kelly. Boy, I called for him to be a one and done. I was saying he sucked three games into the season. Uh, I wonder how many people are willing to admit that, that, you know, give the guy a little freaking time, like two thirds into his first season and Hell of a win. Hell of a win. I don't know how it's going to end up, but uh, LSU has a chance to be an elite program. Brian Kelly's a good coach. He might be a creep, but he's a good coach. He is. The, the question for me was always about culture fit and how those kids are going to respond to him. And when I think about it that way, what, what it, it, it seems like what he's done is kind of make them have to assimilate to the Brian Kelly way. And that's fine. And, and, and that's, that's what, that's what it is. And, so they're doing what they're told. They're doing the right things. They're putting things out. And now he's got a team that's capable of beating Alabama, which he didn't have before. The other times they played, he didn't have a team that had the players that, you know, grew up living next door to Alabama's players. They grew up playing against Alabama's players. They grew up in Alabama or in Louisiana. They didn't grow up there. They didn't grow up playing that brand of football. They didn't grow up with that level. Of, listen, they didn't grow up on grits. They grew up eating oatmeal, and those are two completely different things. And so when I look at it, I think he's got a team that's capable. And I do think that – let's not forget, in the BCS era, LSU, the only two lost national champ. And they have an opportunity to be that again if they continue to win. And part of that continue to win means they do have to beat Georgia. They might have to beat Georgia twice, which is scary. But if they beat them in the SEC championship game – and then they play them again in the playoff. They're, they might have to beat them twice to be another national champion. 
But this is Brian Kelly figuring it out. Remember, him and Jaden Daniels, they he didn't know him from Adam coming into the season. Like they well, yeah, they spent some time together in the summer and they had training camp, but they didn't he didn't know how to coach him. He didn't know how to work with him. And I do think that, and I'll say this about Brian Kelly. He has also, and, and maybe it's because listen, in the South, it's a different breed. It's not a bunch of dudes that are just gonna be scared of you and do whatever you tell them to do. And he's adjusted his coaching style a little bit. So he is still a hard coacher. He does coach hard, but I'm sure someone has said F you to him in in, in a meeting or on the field, on, a, on the practice field. And he's like, okay, these kids are built different, but I can use that difference to help elevate what we are. And I think that that's a really important thing. Michael Felder, part of the Learfield podcast family is our college football insider here on Cofield and company in your four hard downs your uh, bulletin which is out at least a couple times a week i love the reference to beck and loser baby a line you threw out there that was a dynamite was now you don't have to talk about alabama in cfp scenarios that said i'm going to make you do it because one i have a personal interest in it i bet a terrible number but i get enticed like a sucker uh alabama to win the national championship earlier in the week was 40 to 1 now they have to have so many things go right just to get near Mm -hmm. the cfp but it is, it is possible, and it starts this week. They have to take down Ole Miss. And the great thing here is everyone's got Alabama like way out of the CFP. They are 12-point favorites against Ole Miss. Yeah, and, and Ole Miss is the number – Alabama's nine. Ole Miss is number 11. Like, this is – like, here's the thing. If you go resume to resume to resume, we're going to be looking at an Alabama team that has two close losses to what? To Tennessee and to LSU, two teams that are ahead of them in the CFP. Uh, and then – They'll get a win over the number 11 team. So that does look pretty good. And Mississippi State, when they beat them, was also right. They're hanging around. And if they go to Atlanta by some you know stroke of genius, depending on what happens with LSU through the rest of the way, and they beat Georgia, it's going to be hard to keep them out. So, yeah, listen, I love that. Listen, the Beck, I'm a loser, baby. Like, I love that song. And for me, I think Clemson is farther on the way out than Alabama because the ACC just doesn't have the juice. But Alabama, I mean, they it's its scary to think that they could still get in and that there's still going to be a problem. And by the way, Bryce Young, this team has not lost a game because of him. Is Alabama going to rip Ole Miss? This Alabama-Ole Miss game reminds me a lot of the 2013 Alabama and Auburn game. And I'm not talking, you know, like kick six or any of that. I'm talking about Nick Marshall as a mobile quarterback, being able to manipulate those Alabama linebackers and being able to manipulate that front seven. Uh, everybody, we, we see so much success against Alabama in the back end with these wide receivers making plays in the back end. But if you can manipulate them in the front end, I think that's where Lane Kiffin's going to dial in. And Lane Kiffin, by the way, phenomenal coach. I think he's going to dial in on that front seven and make them be wrong a lot, and that's the part that I'm really looking forward to in this football game. So a lot of things have to happen for Bama to get in. they got to win their games, right? They can do that. They can win all three games. They need LSU to lose. So it starts this weekend. Yep. LSU, again, on the edge of the CFP, is only a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Arkansas. This is clearly a letdown spot. What can Arkansas do to beat the Tigers? Uh Arkansas is just, they got to come out and play good football, man. Like, they're they are a team, they there's nothing special and nothing fancy about them. They are a team that shows up. They've got the Sanders kid in the backfield. They've got K.J. Jefferson. They just play hard football. And the reality for me, when I look at Arkansas, and this is a team that went on a little bit of a skid and then came back, and then obviously they lost to Liberty a week ago on a 
weird, really weird game, 21 to 19. Very weird football game. And now they're they're gonna have to pick pull themselves up, you know, by their quote unquote bootstraps and figure it out. But Pittman coaches very specifically. This is a team uh, with respect to Arkansas. It's not about weapons as much as it is about execution, and they they believe in executing uh, defensively. I think the big key for them is going to be not making mistakes and not let Jaden Daniels uh, every now and then run around on you to pick up to steal a first down. You mentioned uh, lots of teams needing to beat Georgia to get themselves in the mix. That's going to be tough. They went out and handled Tennessee pretty well, and I I love the way you put it in four hard downs that Georgia actually got innovative on offense to seal the victory um basically you put it as hey you know what they they were not going to have a race to 40 and be in catch-up mode they were going to get in front so how'd they get in front what was the creative play you pointed out by georgia that showed some innovation oh for me it was the first quarter uh the kenny mcintosh play where uh they know that tennessee is going to be playing cover three they know they're in cover three and in cover three you throw trips to one side so they everybody loads heavy to that side on that back side with the one guy you're going to be playing man coverage playing man coverage there's not going to be anybody over there that safety might come down or that backer might go to the flats but the reality of it is nobody's expecting anything to happen there and then you sneak Kenny McIntosh out there you get the guy you catch the safety flat-footed in the flats and um, McIntosh is wide open huge play next play they score a touchdown but that to me was just being aggressive uh, using Darnell Washington as a blocker and as a pass catcher you throw in Brock Bowers, you got the opportunity to make a ton of plays. So it just being aggressive went a long way. It reminded me a lot of Alabama in 2009 in the SEC championship game against Tim Tebow, where they came out and they went tempo, they went blitz, they went pressure against the Florida Gators, and they got out to an early lead, and then the game was over. How does Clemson bounce back? This is this is the crazy part. So I grew up, I grew up in the South. I grew up in North Carolina. I, I'm I'm I, I'm young enough to not remember Clemson winning a national championship because I wasn't born yet. And now I'm old enough to remember that, like, if Clemson was 8-1, and one, that's a big deal. My next-door neighbors, they went to Clemson. Right up the street here, they went to Clemson. People that don't know this, Charlotte is a Clemson town and a Gamecocks town when it comes to football and an NC State town when it comes to football. And Clemson and uh, NC State are both – I mean, you got an 8-1 and one team and a 7-2 and two team. If this was not the era of the playoff, mm-hmm. if this wasn't the all or nothing era, we wouldn't be talking about bounce back. We'd be talking about, hey man, this is this team's gonna win 11 games. This team's gonna win 12 games. And that's the reality. Clemson can win. If they win, the, they're, they've played nine games. They've got three regular season games left. You throw those three on there, that's 11 and one season. You win an ACC championship, that's a 12 and one season. You win another game, that's a 13 and one season. And I understand the standard has changed because it's all about the playoff, all about the playoff, all about the playoff. But the reality of it is, if you win 13 games, your recruiting's going to continue to kick. The players are still going to be happy. The coaching staff's still going to be intact. This is a coaching staff that still is not quite sure who they are. And they're figuring it out. And then I think the biggest question for Clemson is not the bounce back. Cofield, I think the biggest question for Clemson is what do they do with that quarterback room when we get to the offseason? Nothing's going to change now, but when we get to the offseason, does DJ leave? Does Cade leave? What does the offseason look like for Clemson? Michael Felder's with us at In the Bleachers up on 
Twitter. All right, so we come out west. This is a great thing about college football. If you lose early, you know, it's, a, it's just that one impression. We talked about Oregon getting blown off the field by Georgia, but now it's put itself in a position to win the Pac-12. They've got good competition. I do think, though, this stretch of three games, you know, I talked to George Reister the other day. He was an Oregon guy, played for the Jags and the Giants, and I told him at the end of the interview, I'm like, listen, Oregon's got a lot of work to do here. They could lose two of these last three games, um, and it starts with a good Washington team that can be incredibly dangerous on offense. Yeah, they're explosive, and Penix, especially when he's super when he's healthy, it seems like he's kind of been dinged up, but still playing, and now he's it looks like he's getting a little more healthy. I, they can score, but you listen, let me just let me just read you something. Georgia three, Eastern Washington seventy, BYU forty one, Washington State forty four, Stanford forty five, Arizona forty nine. UCLA 45, Cal 42, Colorado 49. They have scored over 40 points every game, talking about Oregon. So if it's a shootout you want, it's a shootout they'll give you. And their defense comes <laughs> correct to the party. And with the exception of that, fir- that first game, this is one of these things is not like the other. And maybe people, attri- people are going to attribute that to Georgia being super good. But it's also that Oregon didn't know who they were. And it took them going into be going. It took them going up against BYU, going to Washington State to figure out who they actually are. So I'm looking forward to these next few games because Washington again, explosive football team, Utah, disciplined team that can score but also will fight you on defense. And then you throw Oregon State, one of the more explosive teams in the country, uh, when it comes to just chunk yardage plays, they find a way to do it. They haven't been able to put it together consistently. But we're talking about an Oregon State team that's what they're six and three. Come on. The, uh, the total on Washington and Oregon is 72.5, so uh, very rich on that one, but it may go over. So one of the one of the things I love to do down the stretch is assess the situations where, hey, they got to win. They got to win to get into the playoff, and then I start betting against them because I feel like something's going to happen with the pressure. They're going to stumble, and that team I want to play against is TCU, but amazingly, let's set this up correctly, Texas at 18 is trying to avoid the upset against number four TCU. It's that melding of the rankings and the odds makers. Texas is actually favored yeah. in this game against TCU. So how does number four TCU pull the upset on number 18? Uh, Savion Williams and Quentin Johnston. Just weapons. Weapons, weapons, weapons. Use your weapons. Uh, you know, don't leave anything in the chamber. Like, you go. You go for it. And I think that's going to be the key for me. Uh, TCU, because you're going to have to outbattle Bijan Robinson. And that's the scary part because Bijan, what a day he had last week when he ran for, what, 209 yards, and he's a weapon, and he can catch out of the backfield. So this is going to be – this is good on good. And by good on – it's actually, it's not good on good. It's good on bad. Neither one of these defenses – I'm not in love with either defense. I think TCU showed some hope. I think Texas has showed a little bit of hope. But this is my best unit, both offenses, against my worst unit. Both defenses. So, I mean, would you be surprised if this game was in the 50s, high 40s? I think that's what we're looking at. And if TCU can survive that, then they're going to still be sitting in that catbird seat. we got to close out strong. Uh, Again, you want to sign up for Michael Felder's Bulletin for Hard Downs. You can find it and all the links up at In the Bleachers on Twitter. You had a food pop in uh, right up number two this week, and you mentioned – 
creamy grits. You also mentioned brunch. I missed an opportunity in San Diego to go to a brunch. I picked a bagel place instead of a brunch place. What an idiot I was. Um, but you mentioned creamy grits, and I'm a north I'm a northeastener who's been in Vegas for 25 plus years. And when I get a chance to have grits, I will get yeah. grits. And you did creamy grits, and then you're throwing like some kind of roast in there. I mean, my God, Felder, unbelievable. Yeah, dude. I listen. I, I. It's funny because I grew up eating grits. Every day that it was below fifty degrees, my dad made grits, and that was our breakfast every single nice. day of my life growing up. We had grits, and the biggest, the biggest thing that I've been doing is I, I like to have grits at dinner because I don't really eat breakfast. I'm not a breakfast guy really, and so the thing is, when you have brunch, we hosted a brunch. We had waffles. You know, we had the waffles. We had the bacon. We had the eggs. We also had mimosas. And the thing I hate the most is when you have mimosas at your house, you end up with this, with one or two half drank bottles of champagne. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? You can't recork it. It's, it's done. And so I put that in the, I throw that in the grits. I also throw it into the, um, the braising liquid for the, for the pot roast. So we do the pot roast over grits with a little bit of onions and, and onions and peppers and a little bit of the, the, the that pot juice. And we're ready to rock and roll. And um, I'm going to say this. If you're serving up grits, put a little pat of butter in the bottom. My God. Meanwhile, this weekend for football, I'll be uh, throwing some turkey bacon in an air fryer. That's the extent of my sexy breakfast. I cooked my first – I I did just the turkey breast this week. I'm going to cook turkey again next week, and then I'll be ready to rock and roll for Thanksgiving. So just going to keep it on. Keep on. There he is, our college football insider, Michael Felder. It's time for a giveaway. Post Malone is in town. Friday night, 8 o'clock, T-Mobile Arena. Inside the Fortress, tickets are available at axs.com. It's Post Malone. We've got tickets right now. Ari will hook you up. 364-1100-364-1100. Caller 7, win those Post Malone tickets. If you don't, show is at T-Mobile Arena. Friday night, 8 o'clock, axs.com is where you can get your tickets. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. The Boise State lost the second half as Fresno State defense. They were just dominated by the run game. It was nothing creative. It was we're going to line up and we're just going to pound the ball right at you. Just like on the offensive side, physical defensive front has, has really affected this offensive line. Physical offensive front, big running backs. They, they've been able to, to do some damage against this Fresno State defense. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. That was Cam Morrell. He was on with us yesterday, former Fresno State safety. He is on the call of the games as well. Physical game expected tomorrow. We'll see uh, who dominates the pace because if it's up and down the field and throwing and throwing and throwing, Fresno is probably going to win the game. 7.30 kickoff, 7 o'clock with the pregame right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, our sister station, we've got the Knights at the end of their five-game road trip. This is crazy how well this has gone, and especially since some of the games they were behind, they looked down and out, and they continue, what is it, four times this year, trailing in the third period, not only tie the game, but come back to win the game. Unreal. Eight-game win streak. Everything is going right for VGK at this moment. Yeah, and the thing is, they're, they're not out of the woods yet, 
you know, when you, Buffalo's always sort of been a little bit of a thorn of a city for Vegas. They were last year. And they, they were the year after they, they went to the Stanley Cup final, too. So it's, it's been a little bit of a, like I said, like a thorn. Uh, it's one of those cities where you don't expect to stumble, but for whatever reason. And it's, it, they tend to play them early in the season, and that's when the Sabres put their best foot forward. The thing is, the Sabres are playing really well, and one of the guys that's really doing it for them is Alex Tuck. And you're talking about two of the highest-scoring teams in the NHL tonight, so I expect a lot of emotion going into tonight's game between Jack Eichel on one side and Alex Tuck on the other. Buffalo second in the league, 3.85 goals per game. Vegas close behind, tied for six with 3.57 goals per contest. Um, it's, it's really not going to surprise me if this gets into a shootout and they go back and forth. The thing is, the scoring depth is on the Golden Knights' side, and, and the crux of it is not just with the big names in Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, you know, their big guns that you think of first nowadays, but the guys who have been with this team since year one are really surprisingly stepping up. Riley Smith, Jonathan Marchessault, William Carlson, they're having a phenomenal season thus far. The misfit line, the forgotten line, if you will, they've really come to play, and, and they've been a big reason why, I mean, Riley Smith the other night scores the game-tying goal and then the overtime goal, and one of them being a shorty. Yeah. So Carlson and um, – The shorty. Carl- How good was that? Carlson and Riley Smith playing on the PK has really helped the chemistry with that line so when they're together at full strength. So that's how strong this team is because you got to remember, on PKs and, and, and power plays, a lot of those guys aren't necessarily together. They're, you're breaking them up and you're using them in spot situations. Riley Smith and William Carlson being together on the PK. So it's helped at full strength. It's helped in special teams. Um, it, yeah, I mean, we're going to be here when the puck drops, but uh, I'll be excited to watch the end of this game and see, see what happens. I just expect a high-scoring game because of the fact that there's a lot of emotion involved with these teams when they get on the ice. And now with Alex Tuck on the other side and being one of their leaders, it, it'll be a fun game. Game's coming up at 4 o'clock. Sabres hosting VGK. That's when 77-set beers start here, and it goes all the way through the end of the hockey game and through the end of the Thursday night football game. A play card is what you want when you come down. You don't need that for the 77-set beers, but you do accrue points when you play, and they've got tons of gift giveaways at Silver 7s, including on Mondays where they're giving away a bunch of kitchen items uh, every week on the – 14th they've got a martha stewart cutlery set how good is that but there's freebies almost every day here you got to use the a play card come on down sign up flamingo and paradise silver sevens bring a new and unwrapped toy to player services anytime between november 20th and december 12th and receive ten dollars in free slot play at silver sevens proceeds benefit the las vegas salvation army the owners are greedy so he's going to end up in the league playing with somebody. That's for somebody. No how toxic right. he is. That's true. He is talented. When he's too old to play, then he'll be done. But as long as he's young enough to score those buckets and do what he does, be Kyrie, he's going to have a job. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, is live on Cofield & Company. Dr. Jay on the way back talking about Kyrie Irving, let's bring in Xavier Pope. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How you doing, man? We're good. We're good. I want to get to Kyrie in a couple minutes, but really big news yesterday and today with the D.C. football team, the Commanders. Uh, Let's take people down this path. First of all, the statement released yesterday by the Commanders 
using one of their players who was shot a couple of months ago as a shield was completely disgusting. Uh, uh, what, 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 why do this? You know, to refer to a player being shot and um, violence and, and then, then also saying um, that there has been discrepancy in some of the things that were said and when being asked about uh, some of the issues of involving the team, it, well, you're putting incorrect information <laughs> out there to the public to deflect from what you've actually done. Um, this, you're basically attacking your own community, um, the communities where the players live, in order to shield your horrible responsibility on race and running an organization. It's disgusting. So the the charges or the lawsuit itself from the AG, you sure. think this, this can work defrauding the public by not giving them inf- the real information about your rep and then they get to make an informed purchase decision? I, I, I don't know how far that's going to go. Uh, I, I think that it, it's a noble endeavor for the AG to pursue that. It's not criminal, so it's, it's call it charges. It's not exactly correct, but um, it's, it's pursued from a civil angle. Now, they could be, the team could potentially be fined, um, and then they did mention that it's going to continue regardless of the sale of the team. Um, and so um, whether it's going to impact customers coming to games, I think that's pretty much the wider impact, um, you know, Maybe does this spur on any fans to bring a class action lawsuit? That's, to me, probably the bigger question than it is the attorney general's office. I mean, there's got to be an attorney in the area who's going to try to put that together, right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the first thing that popped in my mind, Steve. (laughs) Oh, well, you've just given private right of action to anybody who's purchased a ticket uh, uh, to the game. and. All they have to do is just say, hey, I didn't know about what happened. You give the timeline of events and match that to tickets. I mean, this is about money, right? This is something that a a lawyer who wants to make a quick buck, I know he's been thinking about rallying up as many fans as they possibly can and moving forward. That's something that, by the way, uh, the the, the lawyer uh, that that is now went to prison uh, who sued the NFL a couple times, Michael Alvinati, that was his thing. This is something he would have done. Can't do it now, though. Xavier Pope with us, cultural contributor, attorney uh, out of Chicago, host of Suit Up News. You know, the story with Jeff Saturday is really interesting. And, you know, again, speaking of lawsuits, right, Brian, Brian Flores went after the NFL and the Dolphins with all these different allegations. And, you know, one of the points was, hey, the league has some real hiring issues here. So give me your initial reaction to Jeff Saturday with zero coaching experience being tabbed to be a head coach in the NFL by Jim Irsay. Well, the, the initial reaction is, okay, this is part of the course for a guy like Jim Arce, right, in terms of his reputation, number one. Uh, number number two, Frank Reich, he, he loses his job. Jeff Saturday was already on the on the line to get that job. Frank Reich got, the, got a raw deal, five quarterbacks, five years. Uh, I know people can talk about the performance of that team, but he never really had a chance to really have a stable team. Um, that team has been a, a, a mess for years. Jim Arce, that's where the, the, the blame squarely lands on his desk. Um, and then – also, Jeff Saturday, um, people talked about his passion. Who, he, who cares what type of passion he had on the field? He still had zero experience as an NFL coach, and he, he did something that flat out a non-white coach could not do, is walk right into a job. I know it doesn't apply to the Rooney Rule as of yet because he's still an interim coach, but you know how this works. Uh, look and bring in an interim coach, have sham interviews, and push him along in the job anyway. So that was my initial response. 
Listen to Ryan Clark here. We're going to play this bite for you. Ryan Clark from ESPN just talked about relationships, and there's still a big gap in terms of relationships that may be available for African-American coaches. So it's not about their color. This is about relationship, and that does bring it to race for this reason. There isn't the representations of faces like mine, of minority faces, who can build the familiarity that Jim Ursay has built with Jeff Saturday. Is that true? Do you believe that? It's absolutely true. There's an, there's an actual report reporting on this. I, I talked about this on Suit Up News. Um, when Blind Flores filed, filed his lawsuit, um, there was a study that was done on the relationships between um, the, the person that was ultimately hired and how the harder uh, the distance between those relationships to getting those jobs. It's absolutely empirical evidence that supports it. Um, so he's right on the money with that. Xavier, i got to ask you, I, you know, I am in full support of there needs to be more minority coaches, need to be more black coaches on the sidelines, especially under the head headset. But in this situation, I would almost think that it's like, okay, you know what, that's the last place that you want to be so somewhat set up because, I mean, you said the very first thing you said was like, if this is so Jim Irsay, like why would anybody – of any per, of any race, want to go into a dysfunctional, quote unquote, family like the Colts, and then knowing what it looks like, he's setting the setting up the team sort of default, and then turn around and get fired or let go or thanked after serving an interim basis. It almost seems like this is like this is one of those jobs where it's like, no, nah, that's cool, we'll pass. Yeah, it, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, you, you still it's a precedent. And that's the most important thing. And regardless if it's a terrible situation, terrible job, walking to a terrible uh, ownership and management, you still get the opportunity to coach. You can still use that to, to, to springboard to another job. You still need the opportunity um, to be able to coach the same way that someone like Jeff Saturday does. And so, yeah, we can break down the situation. We can say, does anybody want this job? But guess what? At the end of the day, somebody is, is going to take that job. You still want the same opportunity to get that job. Xavier Pope is with us. All right, let's uh, move along to uh, some election topics because it was, it's fascinating the last couple of days uh, watching this whole thing. I've seen yourself and a lot of others get on people who are making predictions around the elections. I'll be honest, I think it comes off as a bit sanctimonious. Like, what is a good way to predict elections, or should we all just stay out of that game? Uh, I don't think you should stay out of the game. Obviously, using predictive analysis, uh, places like 538, Nate Silver, um, was well, became popular, and the ESPN threw a bunch of money, New York Times threw a bunch of money, but then the guy turned out to be wrong over and over and over again. Um, I, 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 and he turned out to be really impacted, in fact, a grifter more than he was a predictive analysis. But I, I, I just think that it was, it was not just about what the polls were saying. It was about... The, the narrative that the media kept trying to tell tell about what voters really wanted in, in 2016 was quote unquote economic anxiety, and then 2022 became quote unquote about inflation and what their their concerns were when they really were there were some really really dark parts of the country that was being um, that was part of the analysis more than anything else, and I think that people thought that. Um, people were getting worse. And I, I tweeted about this last week that went viral to talk about how people got worse in society when we get we got all caught up. But we have a situation that we had a really energized group of the population after the Dobbs decision that wanted to make sure women particularly wanted to protect rights and then also of Gen Z. Uh, and that was uh, totally underestimated. And I think that 
some of these narratives that the media tries to put out before these elections that sometimes can be damaging. But I think it also helped energize to get people votes. Let's. Uh, I want to move on to the NBA and what's going on with Kyrie Irving. What do you think is going to happen? And and legally, do the Nets have to bring him back? They're playing good basketball right now. <laughs> Three and one without uh, Kyrie. Um, I don't know what that really means early in the NBA season. We still have to shake things out in terms of what's going on uh, in the in the East, particularly with some teams uh, doing better than the Milwaukee Bucks are killing it right now. Um, but I think that we have this, this standard player agreement. You know, they're they're. How he behaves in terms of if it's racial discrimination, or they look at it in terms of something that's that in that vein. I think that that's something that could potentially get them on the to, out of that particular that contract. Now, does Kyrie maybe have a claim for wrong, wrongful termination? They may have, um, but uh, it's 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 a really uh, a terrible situation. I, I hate that Kyrie is in it, but he he laid his bed and he he had the opportunity. <laughs> to to turn the corner, and he chose not to. He was stubborn about the, the COVID. He, he's stubborn about race. Maybe this is a lesson that he needs to learn. But And now he's lost his relationship with Nike. I mean, where does Kyrie start to turn the corner? I know people are defending Kyrie and talking about free speech and all of that. But guess what? I mean, there are, are rules you need to follow, and you, you, you this is a, a private right of contract. And so teams have the opportunity to, to, to use their private right of contract to say, you can't do this and punish him for it. Uh, LeBron has his back. He just came out with a statement a little while ago, uh, well, social media posts, saying, uh, you know, help him learn, but he should be able to play. He said, uh, I think what he's being asked to do to get back on the floor is excessive. I, I think that LeBron James is waiting to the wrong waters. I mean, I think you're defending the wrong guy in this situation. Uh, and I think that you saw some of the things that LeBron put out that was incorrect about. Uh, comparing the flu to, to the cold to COVID. So this is another situation he, he stepped himself in, in without necessarily being fully informed and saying something that was that was off 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 the mark. I think that I mean, obviously he's someone who's powerful in the play with the players and he's, he's almost a de facto a player union uh, rep for the for the players and when it comes to big issues. And I think that I think that's the angle that LeBron James is coming at is basically trying to protect. Any you know, any other player say says something that maybe maybe isn't uh, something that's maybe anti-Semitic. Maybe it's something speaking for social justice, and then the league doing something like they do, like what happened in Colin Kaepernick in the National Football League. So I think that's the way that uh, that LeBron James is looking at it. But this is the wrong avenue to be able to take with Kyrie Irving and some of the things that he's done. Uh, by the way, Drake and Twenty One Savage are being sued by Vogue magazine for using a fake Vogue cover. And the magazine's name. I mean, this is kind of legal 101, isn't it? It's legal 101. Classic misappropriation. You cannot use the intellectual property of a company to promote a product. That is like basic thing. Um, they use the Vogue cover. They even wrote on their social media thanking um, the editor-in-chief over there. And then for, for this iconic moment, then then they turn around and made a fake SNL video. You just don't do these things. I mean, where are your lawyers? Where is your legal representation to say, hey, we can't do this? And we are now using another company's name to profit and move forward, particularly with some of the lyrics that some people didn't have that thought were distasteful on, on the album when it comes to them. Uh, William's husband, and also Megan Thee Stallion. Well, you know, rich and famous people are not immune from making stupid decisions. Tom Brady, <laughs> is this why they're getting divorced? Apparently Brady and, is this really why? Uh, apparently Brady and Giselle 
massive money into what FTX crypto exchange, and now they're getting killed. Man, FTX is, is done. They're they're pretty much over. They they, 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 they at least in terms of America stop trading. Uh, and uh, I, I, who thought that playing with monopoly money wasn't a good investment? Uh, but so people got got to really go get crazy over crypto. Is now uh, a crash is now happening right now. Um, we don't know exactly how much uh, Giselle Bunchen and, and Tom Brady invested in this, but it's supposedly a significant amount of money promoted it. Um, and the people have lost billions of dollars. Um, the head of FTX says, oh, sorry, I screwed up. <laughs> uh, well, sorry, dude. I mean, people lost billions of dollars. Like, screwing up is, 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 is an understatement okay. of what's happened. So I don't think that obviously it's the cause of divorce. I can't say what caused them to break up. But uh, you see why Tom Brady's still playing. <laughs> Uh, last 20 seconds here. What's on Suit Up News? And we're talking about all that latest that we've been talking about today. It's just been so much going on in the sports world. Um, we just, yeah, we're, we're, we're focusing on covering. Go to the hashtag Suit Up News and under my timeline, add Xavier Pope to watch the latest episode. There he is. Xavier Pope might be triple verified on Twitter. Twitter blue guy. He has it all. <laughs> he has it all. He loves Twitter and he loves Elon Musk. All right. We'll see you, buddy. Talk to you, Xavier. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Willie? Nothing back? Love you, Xavier. Love you, Xavier. Three o'clock hour is on the way. We'll get to the football frenzy in just a few.